There we go. Good morning, Maplecrest. Good morning. Good morning. So yeah, we had a prayer night on Friday, and at that prayer night, we had a great time. We had lots of things that happened, and so I changed my talk because of it, because we had so many great things happen. So today, I am going to be talking about Zechariah 4, and because uh, that was a key scripture that happened on Friday, and it kind of encapsulated everything that happened that night. It was just this perfect scripture that Pauline read in full that just captured the evening. So if you want to turn to Zechariah 4, that is going to be what we're talking about. I'll put it up on the screen, but it probably would be easier if you had a Bible. Um, But we'll still have it up on the screen if you don't. And if you have a phone, you can probably figure it out on there too. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning and everything you're doing. And... um, and just what we're encountering. I just feel like Maplecrest is such an exciting place right now. I, I feel like it's going to be exciting for a long time. But right now is just super exciting. Because of all of the things that you're doing so quickly for us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this morning and help us to hear you. And uh, I pray that you would be in me as I speak. And that your words would come through. That the message that you have for us would be here. So, Lord, we just invite your presence. Amen. So I'll just give you a little bit of a background for Zechariah to start. Zechariah was uh, a prophet who wrote 500 BC, roughly. And this was the time when uh, the Israelites were in, uh, under King Cyrus, the prophecies, oh, my name is Cyrus, just the, the prophecies just continue here. So uh, they were under King Cyrus, and, and they were leaving um, um, Babylon, and King Cyrus released them. He enabled them and uh, freed them. I won't emphasize that point too much today. Anyway, so King Cyrus did that, and then uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua. This is a different Joshua than the one that was with Moses. Joshua uh, was, the, was um, the priest, and Zerubbabel was the leader, and they, they left, and they went to, back to their homeland, back to Israel, and they were going to rebuild the temple. And that's what Zechariah is talking about here. So let's put up the first, the first piece here. Perfect, you're ahead of me. And the angel who talked with me, this is Zechariah speaking, and the angel, so there's an angel already, it's pretty cool, angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of sleep. And he, the angel, said to me, what do you see? And I said, it's hard to hold all these images in your head, so I'll try to help you. I see, and behold, a lampstand, so you got a lampstand, just imagine a stick made of gold, with a bowl on top of it, so we got the bowl, with seven lamps on it. Now, maybe some of you are familiar with like a menorah. You know, they've got like three on each side kind of coming down and then one in the middle. So it's like a seven-piece lampstand. So oftentimes people will picture it like that. Obviously, we don't know exactly how it looks. But these uh, lamps have lips. uh, And uh, with seven lips on each of the lamps. Oh, actually, each of the lamps uh, has seven lips. I missed that. uh, That are on top of it. And there were two olive trees uh, beside it. So if you picture this lampstand with some oil, like or bowls, uh, the oil comes in later. And then there's some trees on the side. It doesn't mention it here, but there are these pipes that seem to be connected to the trees. And the trees have this oil connected with them. And that comes later in the, in the scripture. So we've got the lampstand. We've got the, um, the lamps and the bowls. And we have two olive trees standing beside them. And... Uh, And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, Lord? Uh, So Zechariah asked, What does this mean? And the angel 
uh, talked with me and answered me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Remember the leader bringing the people back. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. So there's a big mountain. It's going to become a plain, easy to cross. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. So it's a bit tough to kind of get it at one go, but if, you, if we work through it slowly, you can kind of see the picture. Um, now, if you read a commentary, they'll say, oh, the angel, like the angel doesn't answer him. Like uh, Zechariah is asking, like, what does this mean? And the angel doesn't answer him. The angel starts talking about other things. I actually think the, ans- the angel answers him quite clearly. Um, because he's not exactly saying, he says later what the trees mean and what you know, all this stuff means. But what he's saying is, this is power. That's what he's saying. It's not by might. What, I'm, what he's saying is, like, he says, what is all this? This is power. It's not by your might. It's not by your strength that this mountain is going to become a plain. It's by this picture. It's by what's in this picture that this is actually going to happen. Now, I haven't explained what the picture is. That's true for the commentators. But I think he's hitting the main theme, which is this is power. This is God. And this is the picture that's going to help you to understand how mountains in your path are going to be made flat and easy to cross. Not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Then the angel, so I'm going to break it down. So then the angel says this, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit. And then he goes into it and he says, why do we need power? We need power because there's always opposition. There's always opposition. If you are carrying the spirit of the Lord into a new place and you're going to build something, there's always a mountain. There's always opposition. That's not a sign that you're going in the wrong direction. It's a sign that you're carrying the Lord into a new place because there's always opposition. And here, it's pictured as a mountain. And then there's this picture of a top stone. Now, what is a top stone? So I'll read that part again. Uh, you shall become a great plain, and he, Zerubbabel, shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. So what's the top stone? It's the capstone. They're wanting to build the temple. They're wanting to build a place for God. And the last stone is the top stone. So what he's saying is, there's going to be a mountain. The mountain will be made into a plain. It's going to be easy to cross once you're done. Not through, but once you're done, it's going to be easy for others to follow. And at the end of it, you're going to get there. You're going to get to the place where you're carrying the top stone. What's the top stone? That's the party stone. That's the stone that means it's finished. That's the stone that everybody's waiting for. It's the final stone. It says, you actually have completed this. So there will be a top stone. And they will be saying, grace, grace to it. So basically what they're going to be saying is, bless the stone. The Lord has come through. Bless the Lord. The top stone has come. We have finished the building. The mountain has been made into a plain. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need power because there's always opposition. And the Lord promises that when you face that opposition, with his spirit, you can and will get to the place where you can have a top stone. 
Nothing, even a mountain, can stop you. When we were starting the spirit room, Norm gave a prophecy about the spirit room and, um, and kind of what it looks like. And Norm said that there were like two buildings. And one was a building for Maplecrest, and one was a building for the spirit room. These are powerful pictures to have two buildings being built side by side. And that was, that's what was in my heart. My heart was that we would be a place where we would be a family, where we would have a place to, to, to worship and to take care of each other and to develop ourselves. And then there would be another building that we would go into, which would be a mission to the city. And the, the spirit room has a certain look to it right now, but it's just the foundation. It's just the beginning of a building, of, of that mission to the city. And that's what Maplecrest is building. We're building a place for God to rest with us and a place for us to reach out. Amen. So today's talk, I actually wasn't going to talk about Zechariah at all today, but I was going to talk about how to handle bullies. That was going to be my, I'm on a a boundaries series. We talked about how boundaries can be a good thing. And then we talked about Easter because Easter came, and we talked about God breaking down that boundary between us and death. And today I wanted to talk about how do you actually enforce a boundary? How do you handle Goliath? We talked about Goliath a couple Sundays ago. How do you manage a Goliath? How do you make a boundary? How did David do that? How did he walk up to Goliath? Now, I'm a psychologist, so I'll do a little bit of the psychology thing because that's fun. I teach kids how to handle bullies. And it's, it was a tough problem. You got this little guy who comes in. And it's so sad. It's, I'm going to cry right now and think about it. These kids come in and they won't tell you. You ask them, like, they'll, they'll tell you anything. But if you ask them the question, what does the bully say? They'll never tell you. Never tell me. It's like 1% tells me what they say. They say, I forget. Do they forget? It's burned in that kid's brain burned in there. There's so much shame and pain for these little people. It's real for them and it's real for us. We handle bullies even as adults. And it's sad to see how much people are crushed. So how do you help this kid? I remember when I was in grade one, I was bullied. I remember the bully. I won't give his name. I'll call him Fred. Fred. Fred had a sidekick. His sidekick was in a grade older than him, and he was big. Fred wasn't so big, but he was like, he was a good talker. And I remember him coming up to me one day. But this time it was different. My kids had put me in Taekwondo. I didn't have a lot of confidence, but I had been taking Taekwondo, and he wanted to fight me. Fred. So he came up to me and we were in a corner where nobody could see us and he said, I don't know what he said, but he said, let's go. Put up his hands and I put up mine. And I went open-handed because that's kind of what they were teaching us in Taekwondo for some reason. I'm not sure why. But anyway, I went open-handed and after a couple minutes of that, it wasn't working at all. And then I closed my fists. I had absolutely no confidence, but I still closed them. And all of a sudden, without even knowing how I did it, I got him on the chin. His eyes went big. 
and he looked at me and he said, if you won't tell, I won't tell. <laughs> and he ran away. That was fun. I'll tell you another story. <clears throat> this was grade four. I was standing in line. You know, you have to stand in line in order to get into the building. So everybody's like standing in a line. And there was a kid. He's actually my friend. This is my friend. Just to put this in place. He was my friend. But you know how you kind of play fight sometimes? I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what we were doing. But he came at me. And he was a big guy. Like, bigger than me. And I was still taking Taekwondo. I didn't even think. I just stepped to the side and put up my knee. <laughs> just like I'd been trained over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, Jeff was on the ground. <laughs> and I had to go for a walk. <laughs> Talk to some adults. Anyway. Okay, so resist the devil and he'll run for me, right? <laughs> But when these kids come to me, I can't tell them to beat them up or whatever. Um, I don't really stand behind my actions those days. Uh, but you've got to do something. And crying doesn't help. Oftentimes these kids will just cry or they'll run. Uh, they'll sob in the corner. It's awful. It's awful to listen to and watch as it goes on for years. As teachers and parents stand by helplessly. Can't teach them to beat the other kid up. It's not good to become a bully. You don't have friends if you're a bully. It's not good for them. So I'll tell you what we teach them. We teach them to fake confidence. You're going to do it with me, okay? We'll all do it together. I'm going to teach you how to fake confidence. The first thing, sometimes we even take a ruler and put it on the kid's nose, put it on their nose, and we say, you've got to raise up the ruler. So I want everybody to like raise up their ruler. I want you to look up a little bit. It's like, okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Now this is the real. This is next thing is the real key here to faking confidence. I want you to do what we're call what I call a half smile. So it's not a full smile. You're not happy about this person who's bullying you or calling you names. That's another strategy that kids use that doesn't work at all. You can't just pretend. Oh, I like getting beaten up. Like you can't do that. Those kids don't don't make it. <laughs> you got to do a half smile. So I'll try to do a half smile for you. You kind of raise one side and you're like, so just put your head up, one smile. You know, it's like a smirk. It's like, okay. What do you, who do you think you are? That's kind of the look. Who do you think? You think you're something? It's like, whatever, right? Whatever. And you know what? It's funny. If you teach a kid to fake confidence, they don't have any confidence, but if you teach them to fake confidence, it still works a lot. Not perfectly, but it works a lot. Even just faking it, even just faking confidence works. Isn't that fun? Can you just imagine David walking up to Goliath? It's like, you think you're something. <laughs> or the devil walking up to God? It's like, yeah, you're just a little guy. You're just a little guy. I gave you some rope. But that's it. You're nothing. You don't realize who I am, is what that look says. And, and then we I said that's teaching confidence, but you know what confidence is? When confidence doesn't make sense in the natural, when the little guy, David, walks up to, da walks up to Goliath with confidence, 
you know what we call that? Faith. It's faith. When confidence makes sense, we call it confidence. When I'm the big guy walking up to the little guy with a smirk, that's confidence. When I'm the little guy walking up to the big guy with a smirk, that's faith. I can't do this, but you don't know who I am. You don't know who I am. And you know what works even better than fake confidence, than fake faith? Real faith. Real confidence. It's amazing how well faked confidence works, and I have to say I've used it a few times. And I would maybe even encourage you to, because we're just supposed to start with a mustard seed. Right? So you go with the Word of God, and you go up to the devil, and you say, I don't have any confidence. But I have the Word of God. (laughs) And you fake it. You use your mustard seed. And you know what? Just like those kids, that mustard seed will do something. It'll make the devil pause. What's going on here? What did you read? What did you read? Who told you that you were something? And we don't get our confidence because we've got a good right hook. We get our confidence because we have an identity that people don't know about. We get our confidence because it actually does make sense. It just doesn't make sense if you don't look at the spiritual. We deserve that smirk. We deserve that smirk. So we have to resist the devil. And God was telling Zechariah, you're the little guy. In the natural district, it makes no sense to go and build your temple. It makes no sense for you to do this at all. But that's why I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you because I want you to know that you have something greater behind you. It's not by your power that you're going to do this. There's a mountain there. It makes no sense. But I'm with you. It's not by power. It's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let's keep going. The next part, Zechariah says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. The top stone is coming. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. He's going to do it, and then you'll know. I want you to have faith, but one day you won't need faith. One day the Lord will come, and we're not going to need faith anymore. And then it goes on to say, For whoever has despised the days of small beginnings shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. So the plumb line. Now, normally we think about a plumb line as being a construction tool that helps keep things level and straight. And that is what a plumb line is. Now, commentators talk about this plumb line and they say that's probably not what it meant. It's probably another reference to this top stone. So one day you will see that top stone. Zerubbabel was going to take that top stone and then you'll know. And all the people who felt and despise the days of small beginnings, will see the king come in with the top stone. And what I like about the scripture, because the scripture is obviously saying, don't despise the days of small beginnings. But what I like about it is, even they will rejoice. Even they will rejoice. And you know why I like that? Because we all despise the days of small beginnings. We all miss it. We all miss it. 
Sometimes we don't miss it as much, but we all miss it so often. This is not a right-side-up kingdom. It is an upside-down kingdom, which means that we miss it all the time. We miss it when we see people who are quiet, but have so much spiritual authority, and we miss it. And we go to the person who has the loud voice and the good storytelling ability and give them our, abil- our, our belief in their spiritual authority. We missed it. We miss that person. We miss it when people are familiar. You're just from Nazareth. I'm from Nazareth. You can't be anything. We miss it from the familiar power, the familiar fire. When buildings are coming up, there's a lot of noise and fury, and nothing's happening. You, see the, you hear the trucks. You hear the banging. I don't know if you hear the... It's Manitoba. We have these friction sticks that have to go into the ground. Bang, 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 all day, right? Nothing's there. All day you hear this banging for months. Months and months. They estimate 40 to 70% of the time building a building, you don't see anything. And then all of a sudden, there's something. It happens very quickly. There's this building, a bunch of sticks in the air. And you realize that something's been happening for a long time already. All of a sudden, there's a house. It's not filled in. That takes another few months. But it's there all of a sudden. Did that just come out of nowhere? There's been people working on that foundation for a very long time. So that house would stand strong. All of a sudden, there's a house. This is an upside-down kingdom. And it's hard to be in that place of small beginnings when all you hear is the annoying sound of a foundation being banged into the earth of people being pummeled in their character into the shape of God so that they can carry a weight. And that's often what we're waiting for. We're waiting for God to build our character so that we can carry the glory that he has for us. That's going to be ultimately fulfilled when he comes, when we meet him. But it happens even now. We have to build things in the spirit, and so much of it is built underground, out of sight, in the quiet place. I don't want to be somebody who despises the days of small beginnings because we aren't a people who are supposed to live by what we see. We are a people who are specifically called to see things that aren't naturally there yet. We are called to be a people of faith. We are called to be a people of faith, to have confidence when it doesn't make sense. We are called to be builders, building things in the Spirit, building things by the Spirit. And there will be a day when Zerubbabel will come with his top stone. And even though I'm preaching a sermon, I'm sure that I am going to be ashamed. I'm going to look around and I'm going to see all the things that I missed all the works of God that were really him that I discounted, all the people who had gifting that I didn't see their gifting, Lord, open my eyes. I don't want to be in that position where I've missed what he's given me. 
Let's go on to the next part here. Don't you love Zechariah? Isn't this fun? Ooh. Zechariah, the next one is, yeah, 14 or 9 to. These are the days. Oh, sorry. Um, then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left? And why am I messed up here? Is that verse 10? Is there one? Did I miss verse 10? Okay, these are the uh, these seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. So there's that part. So that's these. Now it doesn't say specifically what the seven are, but there are these seven lamps, right? So these seven eyes, these seven lamps, are going through the whole earth. So now we're talking. We're actually going to find out what this lamp thing looks like, or what it actually is. And then he said to them, uh, "This is Zechariah now saying, what are these olive trees on the right and on the left?'" of the lampstand. And a second time I answered and said to him, oh, I'm mixing this all up. Yeah, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And then he said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay. So, we have these seven eyes, which are ranging through the whole earth, which are looking from these lamps. And we have these trees beside them, and these pipes coming in that are feeding the oil, that are feeding the lamps. Now, the first thing I want to say is that this was something that Keith actually brought from uh, the Prophetic Council of Canada, where he was talking about how right now, the Lord is looking for people and putting people in their place. And if I'm getting this wrong, you can, you can correct me, because uh, I think there's more fullness to that word. But there, there are these eyes, and there's always these eyes. Even though the mountains are coming down, even though God's purposes are being filled, he's looking for people in perfection. He's always, even though these two trees are already his people, he's looking for more. He wants to involve all of us in his work. He wants us to find our place in him. Now, this is where the commentators say the obvious interpretation doesn't make sense, and that is that the trees are his anointed people, which are actually feeding oil into, it seems this way, it's not said specifically or clearly, but it seems like these olive trees are feeding oil into the lamp of God. How could God be burning oil from people? That doesn't make any sense, so they dismiss it. I don't know if I would dismiss it. There are other examples in the Bible where God actually uses something that people do in order to fulfill his purposes on the earth. I don't think that makes no sense. In Revelation 8, it talks about the incense of the saints coming up. And when that has reached fullness, it's poured out on the earth in a judgment. Now, you think that the devil is the one who's coming in the end times. But let me tell you, the saints of the earth in the end times are going to be the ones praying down judgments on the Antichrist. It is going to be us praying down because we're saying, Lord, Lord, this wickedness has gone on too long on this earth. And this incense is going to rise up and the Lord is going to respond and say, I have had my patience. I have had my mercy. And there is a time to clean things up. There is a purpose of God that happens that is fed by the oil of his people. 
Now, is he dependent on that? If there's no more trees, is he going to find a way? Yes, the Lord will find a way. He is not restricted in a complete sense by what we do, but in a sense of himself, he has restricted us. And he's saying, look how powerful I am, that I can actually complete everything in my heart, all of my promises through these weak and broken people. It's nothing for me just to snuff out the devil, but I am going to do it through these broken vessels. Look at my might, devil. You think you can corrupt them? I am going to renew them. And I am going to defeat you, devil, not by just wicking you out, not by just blowing out your candle like I could in a second, but I am going to do it through the thing that you wanted to destroy. I am going to do it through these people, and that is going to show you how powerful I am. I am going to do it in a restricted way. I am going to tie up my arms. I am going to talk to these people, and they're going to destroy you. That is the oil that is coming. That is the oil that is being poured down that the Lord is using and saying, give me your oil, give me your incense, give me your prayers, and I will find more people. We are supposed to be praying for people to come into the harvest. Pray for the workers to come into the harvest. That's what this is. He's looking and he's asking us, pray. I'm not dependent on you, but I have made myself restricted by you in order to show my true power, to show the love of my people and my love for them. It's an impossible picture, apparently, but it makes total sense to me. He loves us. And he wants to work through us. So we have this picture in Zechariah 4. We have this picture, this prophetic path through a mountain. The small beginnings. The path that's impossible. The upside-down kingdom. Here we are, little people trying to take down a mountain. It's only possible. It might look, because I'm running around this, off, this building, it might look like we're doing it by human means. But let me tell you, this would be nothing without him. And that's why he's telling us this. Because he's like, you might actually think that that slingshot did something with Goliath. You might actually think that David was a really good shot. And maybe he is, but let me tell you something. I created that stone. I created that sling. I made this boy, and I gave him that bear, and I filled him with confidence when he worshipped me. I brought this giant at the right time. I made it so the sun wouldn't get in his eyes. That cloud is mine. He could see. I filled him with courage. And I moved the stone a little bit too, because he missed. God is the one who does it. And there is going to be a final stone. And I think that's a big picture. There's going to be a final stone. The stone that the builders rejected. But there's also going to be another stone, a final stone in this place, in Maplecrest. God is going to get us there. By his power. And we are those trees those trees standing beside the Lord, crying out to him, and he gives us the oil through the ground and the sun, and then we give it back to him, and he says, look what you did when it was all him in the first place. It was all him in the first place. 
and his seven eyes are searching. His perfect gaze is looking at everyone, watching people to see, are you going to come? Are you ready for me? Because I want to work with you. And our job is to smirk. Our job is to realize that this whole thing is to show us that it's not up to us. And we're supposed to read that, and we're supposed to turn, and we're supposed to look at that mountain, and we're supposed to put our noses up, and we're supposed to give it a half smile like you are nothing. And then the Lord is going to break it down. And that's all we have to do. We have to have confidence. We have to know that we come from a greater place. We have to have faith. Can I have the music team come up? Whew, that was fun. Lord, you are preparing us to fight giants. And you're giving us bears and lions to practice on. This is just a warm-up. But it is a warm-up. And Lord, I pray that we would know quickly, so you don't have to show us, that it's not by our power, but it's by your Spirit. You are making a way, Lord, where there is no way. You're raising up your people. And I pray right now that every person here would feel and hear their anointing, their calling, in your purpose, Lord, to take down this Goliath. And Lord, give us the strength to hear it, and give us the, the strength to take that step, to pick up that stone, and to kill that giant. Amen.